trying to get your startup funded? Is all you hearing from investors crickets? How can you get an angel investor to fund your startup? Many startups are so focused on their product that they overlook creating a business model and funding presentation that can actually get them funded. We are going to discuss how to get your startup funded on this Screaming Box podcast. Please like our podcast and subscribe to our channel to get notified when next month's podcast is released. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Streaming Box Technology and Business Rundown! Looking for 100K for your startup? What can you do to ensure that you get the startup capital you need to make your business come alive? Welcome to the Scream Box Technology and Business Rundown Podcast. In this month's podcast, I, Dave Erickson, and my co-host, Botan Sedesh, are going to find the money by talking to DC Palter, founder of PitchingAngels.com. DC is an angel investor, a startup mentor, and a published author and novelist. He has invested directly in about 37 companies over 10 years, and he's invested in hundreds of others through two angel investor groups he's a part of, the Tech Coast Angels and Chemical Angels Network. He started his career as an energy engineer, and energy sustainability remains his passion. Even though most of his working career and his two successful businesses that he built were actually in the computer networking industry. Today we're going to discuss angel funding and how you can make a fundable business model and a winning funding presentation. So DC, an impressive resume. Well, thank you. Anything you'd like to add? Oh, well, um... I've done a lot of different things. Uh, got a lot of gray hair to to show for it too. So um, it's kind of hard to to summarize a, a long career in in a paragraph, but I think that does a, a good job of it. Great. Uh, you obviously have a lot of experience in funding businesses, particularly at the angel level. So we're kind of excited to explore mm -hmm. that. I think maybe the yeah. and. Uh, Thank you for having me on today. We're we're actually happy to have you. I'm looking forward to this discussion. So, Botan, uh, anything uh, you would like to start out with? Uh, I know you've been involved in uh, startups and and kind of getting businesses together a little bit. Uh, maybe you have some uh, funding questions. Let's say that I tried, haven't <laughs> <laughs> yet succeeded. Uh, but it, it strikes me as a quite peculiar DC that uh, you started out as an energy engineer and. Uh, it's not typically a path that people take to then become an angel investor and a startup mentor. So, no, it's it's been a long and winding road, but that's not unusual at all. So, um, yeah, I started off in energy engineering because I wanted to work on energy sustainability. There weren't any jobs in that, so I ended up working in the defense industry. I ended up working at a steel company. Went back, got my MBA. And where were the jobs in the 90s? Well, it was in uh, startups doing, you know, it was a dot-com bubble, right? So, and I'm in California. So ended up at the startup doing computer networking and I loved it, right? After working big companies for, you know, at that point it was already about 10 years. Like, wow, this is so much better. You get to do everything. Um, you get to be part of a team. You, um, you know, you get to see your success. You get to, you know, talk directly to customers. Um, so it was just very different from the, you know, being a, a, uh, 
a small cog in a big machine at a big company. I just really loved the small, small business. Uh, and you know, but every day is a struggle, right? You know, uh, big company, you know, you're going to get a paycheck startup. You never know, right? You know, if the, if the product doesn't succeed, then, well, then you move on to your next thing. And, and there were a couple of times where we had to pivot. We had to find something new. Uh, company ended up being acquired. And what I do, I started my own startup after that. Um, did that for a while. You know, everyone thinks, oh, I'll just take a couple of years. I'll have a product out. Then, then I can, you know, then I can be rich or retire <laughs> or go play golf or start my next startup. Uh, the first one took 10 years. The second one took 13 years. Wow. So it, it, it takes a while. Um, and at that point, um, I was able to sell that business and then focus on um, uh, my writing, uh, which is something that I had always wanted to do but never had the time to do, um, while working with startups. Um, instead of building my own this way, instead of doing one for 10 years, I can help uh, mentor startups, get them started. I can do you know, 10 of them uh, over the course of a year, just uh, you know, not a full-time job, uh, and then also be able to contribute uh, by helping them get funded and get off the ground. So, um, yeah, it's kind of a, a strange course and it's kind of come full circle that, uh, now that I have some flexibility to decide what I want to work on, as opposed to where the jobs were, um, I can focus my investing and my, my start mentoring, particularly on companies in energy sustainability and, and climate tech. So that's been, uh, that's been rewarding. Ooh. At least on the on the uh, personal level, not so much on the financial <laughs> level yet. So I'm still yeah, working on that. I mean, but there are a lot of uh, government grants these days for energy sustainability. I would think, like uh, especially solar. Yes, it's huge. So, right now. yeah, um, that is uh, actually. I think that's something really worth digging into, and I think we're probably going to talk about it more. But how you get started with a business and kind of the usual way that everyone. Has, you know, the, this, this myth that everyone has is, I had a great idea, I'm going to put together a business plan, I'll put together a pitch deck, I'll go talk to investors, they'll give me $2 million, and I'll go off and yeah, build it. Wish. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's fine if, you know, you've already built two and you've made the VCs a billion dollars, and they're like, sure, yeah, whatever you need, here's a check for, you know, a couple million dollars, no big deal, um, and we'll, we'll show you to be successful. But if you don't have the experience, you don't, uh, you haven't done it before, they're going to be like, well, Show me that you can build it first. Show me the customer base. Show me your expansion. And then, you know, then you have the catch-22, right? Um, I want to build, uh, I need money to build a product, but I need to build a product before I can get money. And this just comes up over and over and over again in early stage startups. For software, which is probably 80% of the, of the successful startups you see, um, you can bridge that gap by working weekends, working night times, by um, kind of having a few friends put together something that's good enough to get out in the market till you can get a few customers and then you can get the the um, the uh, funding to be able to hire a full team and, and really build it out. When you're talking about sustainability, energy sustainability, hard tech, batteries, green, you know, green hydrogen, uh, new fibers, new way of producing, you know, methane, whatever. Um, you can't do that. You need a factory, right? You're not going to build a factory on the weekend in your, and in your spare time. So fortunately, um, there are a lot of government grants around um, different, uh, different, different things. And one of them is energy sustainability, where there's quite a lot of government grants. The U.S. has a program called the SBIR. Um, which is uh, really wonderful. Um, it depends on which 
um, agency uh, you're getting it from, but typically you get like 250,000 to kind of build your prototype. Um, if that's successful, then you can get a million dollars to uh, work on the commercialization of it. Um, and then- Oh, but what happens if it doesn't work out? Doesn't work out, then you go work on your next thing, right? Um, there's really, you know, the government's putting money in for you to do the research and to see if there's a business there. Um, and that's that's wonderful. There's different uh, programs. So the Department of Energy is going to be big in energy sustainability. Uh, the Defense Department's probably the biggest with those grants. If you have something that's somehow related to national security, whether that's energy related because it somehow helps the military, or whether it's you know more traditional defense related things, they will fund that. If you have some medical technology, then the um, National Institute of Health has uh, grants, the National Science Foundation has grants that are kind of more related to, um, uh, you know, kind of science in general, but there's a lot of overlap between these and you can get multiple grants, not for the same thing, but for uh, different aspects of what you're working on. So um, if you're building a hard tech company that you actually, you, you need to do research, you need to, 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 to buy equipment, you need like full-time engineers actually working on things, uh, that's a really great way to get started instead of going out to investors first and say, give me money to, to build it. Um, that's US specific and it's run by the government. So it's very bureaucratic. There's lots of special rules. Um, it's got its downsides, but it's it's almost like free money. Uh, and if you're doing a hard tech startup, that's absolutely uh, my recommended way for people to get started. I've actually gone through uh, an SBIR uh, grant application okay. for solar. Right. Um, yep. You know, that the process itself and producing mm -hmm. the grant, even yes. if you don't get the money, <laughs> it's actually yes. a really beneficial process because it forces you okay. to really get a lot of your information together to get kind yes. of what you're trying to do, what you're trying to achieve, why it is different, why it is good. It was a great process. It was very lengthy. It took a lot of uh -huh. work. It's not an easy thing to submit. Yeah. But it actually, even if you don't get it, was very valuable in helping with putting a business model together. And and, and maybe that's where we can start, uh, DC, with you. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think a lot of people, as they're inventing their newest product or developing software or a hardware product, is thinking about what is my business model or how does my business model, you know, why would somebody fund my business model? So maybe we can start there. Yeah, so... And, and that's where they need to start. So I like to invest more uh, on people who come from industry and say, this is a problem that needs to be solved. And our company has this problem. Everyone else in the industry has this problem. We're, our business is not gonna solve it. It's not our core thing, but I know how to solve it. So I'm gonna leave, I'm gonna do my own startup. I'm gonna build it. And that is a story I really like to hear. Um, what I hear more often is not wrong. It's nothing, you know, it, it, it can work, but it's, I've developed this great new technology. Now I'm going to try and find a market for it. And that tends not to work as well. We call that um, problem in search, uh, sorry, solution in search of a problem or technology in search of a problem. And you get that from a lot of, you know, the, the researchers like, invented this great thing. There's a million uses for it. And we're like, okay, but what is that one use that people are going to drop everything and say, I need this right now, here's some money. Um, and so I do like to see it working the other way, but even if it doesn't, you need to be thinking about the business from the beginning. 
it's and this is something else i think a lot of uh young uh founders don't really get it's not about the product it's not about the technology it's about the business and it's about the invest for investors it's not even about the business it's about the investment or how are we going to make money out of it when you're pitching to us uh so a lot of times from very early stage startups i hear a pitch that is either about the technology like it's great for a grant application um, or more likely it's about the product they've developed and how wonderful it is and how these features and then a couple of slides about the team and so forth. And that always kind of leaves me like, okay, that's nice, but if I'm putting money in, how do I make a return? And um, that hasn't, that usually hasn't been thought through. So that's kind of one of the keys to a good pitch is don't pitch your product. Don't even really pitch your business. You're selling something. You are selling stock in your business. So when you're talking to customers, you pitch the product. You're going to tell them how it's going to solve their problems. When you talk to investors, you're, you need to pitch on why they are, you know, why this is going to be a great uh, investment for them. And so what you're selling is stocking your business. And, and really don't, don't forget that. And the reason the stock in the business is going to be worthwhile um, is because somebody else is going to buy the business or it's just going to be so big that you can do an IPO. But in most cases for you know, niche products is going to be somebody's going to buy the business, who's going to buy it, how much they're going to spend, what are the milestones to get there. Um, and they're going to buy it because you've invented something great and you have a great business. So that's part of the story, but it's leading up to this being a great investment as opposed to, yeah, we've, we've got this great technology or we have this, you know, great business idea. It seems like, you know, if the presentation can start out with something like, I was trying to do this, and every time I tried to do it, I ran into these problems. So I yeah. thought about it and figured out that if we did this instead, it would solve the problem. And I go talk to a bunch of people in the industry, and they all agree that if we had this, it would be wonderful. That's probably more interesting than yep. I invented something, and I'd like to get it funded. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that's, that's the beginning of a good pitch. Here is a problem that I struggled with. And I found a solution for it because no one else was doing it and because I have some unique skills that nobody else has. And there's a million people just like me who have exactly the same problem. Or there's like 100 big companies that are going to spend a million dollars a piece on it. So um, that's usually the beginning of, of the pitch. Problem, solution, market size. If I already got a yeah. uh, problem and a solution and a mm -hmm. strat in a market strategy that works, so I'm already turning a profit and expanding, then why would I want uh, to sell my stock? That's, that's the eternal question, I feel, <laughs> in investing. Right. So bootstrapping is a really good way to go. And I always tell entrepreneurs, do not dismiss bootstrapping. If you don't need money, don't take money. If you don't need investors, why would you want them in your business all day long? Right. Um, if you can grow the business yourself because you're generating revenue that is sufficient to, uh, to, to grow the business, absolutely, that's the way to go. Um, but in most cases, what happens, so take software, you've built it in your nights and weekends, and you've gotten some customers, but, you know, you don't have a sales team, you don't have a marketing team, you don't, you barely have a website, you don't have designers, um, you don't have a customer support team. So you're going to need a couple million dollars to actually build a functional business at that point. Uh, plus there's probably a hundred features that you haven't added at yet. You just have a, an MVP, a very basic 
uh, almost a prototype of, of the product. So people are buying it, so that's great validation, but that's if you can go from there to, to the full business, that's great. But most cases, uh, you won't be able to. So that is your validation that there's um, that there's a real market. Now we can go out and get that $2 million from investors so I can go off and hire a full team. That'll last probably typically uh, about 18 months till we get to the next milestone where we have a million dollars in revenue. Million dollars. If we have a million dollars in revenue, we can get another five to ten million dollars in uh, in funding, and then really, you know, like just hit the market uh, with all of the uh, uh, with, with all the salespeople, with all the marketing, with um, you know, kind of everything to get the word out there because uh, no one's heard of us, right? So marketing is always tough, uh, and it takes a lot of money. Uh, so that is kind of the typical way things go with venture capital. Um, that you build a prototype, you get into a, uh, you know, you get to first customers, first revenue, that gets you money to be able to to build a team. Then you get to, you know, uh, a decent ARR, and that gets you the money to really um, kind of build out the, uh, the, the business. Um, that, again, is not the way you have to do it. And if... Uh, if you can do it yourself, either from your own money or from customer money or from grants or whatever, um, then you have a lot more flexibility because the challenge is if you get investor money, people, a lot of people don't get this. And unfortunately, this is kind of like the key, right? If you take investor money, what does investors want to make? Why are investors giving you money? Because they want to make money, right? They want to make more and money, specifically. They want to make more <laughs> money, right? Um, and we work from the assumption, uh, if we're working with early stage startups, that probably 90% of them are going to fail. Mm -hmm. The one out of 10 that succeeds is going to take about 10 years to succeed. To get our money back, just to get our money back, we need to get a 10 times, you know, uh, across the whole portfolio, we need a 10 times return. Okay, so we're not talking about making 10% per year, we're talking about a, a, a big check being written for 10x just to get us to break even. We wouldn't actually make money, and we, you know, we're in it to make money more than investing in real estate or investing in um, uh, in public stocks. I mean, anybody can buy Apple or Nvidia or whatever. And uh, the nice thing about those is goes up, goes down. We can sell it tomorrow. We can get our money back. We can do whatever we want. You invest in a company, you don't get your money back until the company is acquired, does an IPO, and that's probably typically about 10 years. So very high risk. So we need a very high return to make up for it, or else, you know, what's the benefit of investing in, in, in startups instead of uh, instead of NVIDIA or Apple so, uh, or real estate? So we want 100x return, ideally. We want one of the companies in our portfolio to just absolutely kill it and give it us 100x return. That sounds crazy, but if you're investing in a company at uh, a 10 million valuation, they invent something incredible. They're successful. Google buys them out for a billion dollars. That's a hundred x return. If they go public, um, it can be a thousand x return in the end as as they keep growing. So um, it sounds crazy, but that's the returns we're looking for. Minimum is more like twenty five. So if what you're building can't generate those sorts of returns, then you can talk to VCs all day, but they're going to be like, yeah, this isn't really for us. This isn't a venture investment. So what the pitch needs to do, again, is show how they're going to make money and show how they're going to make a lot of money. 
because this is going to be the one now their portfolio out of all those thousand decks that they see this is going to be the one that's actually going to kill it and and uh and make a return and that's that's what you got to convince them of otherwise is i think the part a lot of people are missing there are other ways of funding your business if you are not building a rocket ship if you are not building some incredible technology that's going to grow like crazy and be acquired for some huge outrageous amount then venture capital is not the way to go because when you take venture capital that's what they're looking for and then they're going to be on your board they're going to own part of the business they are going to be pushing you day after day to grow the business as fast as you can to get to that exit as quick as you can because the earlier they get the return the higher the returns wait, so wait, wait, wait. that on, is just, the just deal you're making with them well, one thing yeah. that you got me extremely confused there so what i yeah. what i know about venture capitalists is not much <laughs> Aside from what you told me, and most people uh, don't, yeah, right? Usually, it's kind of a I just world. watch uh, Shark Tank and stuff like that. And okay. yep, every time they want somewhere around fifty percent, which means that they are on the board. And I believe you just said that VCs are not usually on the board. Um, so we need to make a distinction with Shark Tank. People think Shark Tank is venture capital; <laughs> it's not. All right. And uh, Shark Tank is operating partners. And those are a kind of different investor. They're a little bit, they can be a little bit of both. Sometimes they do investments in, in, in some of the rocket ship, but you'll notice they mostly invest in small businesses that generate nice returns, but then they work out these really complicated deals where they get, they get their money back out of the cash flow, and then they get some royalty on top of it, and then they own some percent, and maybe they own 50%. They also, they don't tell you this, but they charge you. They end up doing your marketing. They, you know, for all of those uh, referrals they get to Bed Bath and Beyond, uh, or you know, or wherever, and they help you set up your Amazon thing. They charge you for that. Oh. So um, they are really then a business partner, and that's not the way venture capital works. Venture capital gives you a check. Um, usually, uh, one of the VCs will be on the board, and as you go further and further around, there may be more VCs on the board. Um, they won't own 50% at the beginning. It'll, it'll be like 20%, then you'll do another round, it'll be more like 40%. Eventually, when you're a billion-dollar business, they may own 60% or something like that. So they may end up with control, but we're not really out looking for control of the business. We don't want to be in your face every day. Uh, we want to give you a check. And then 10 years later, you come back and give us a big, uh, big check um, <laughs> because we're investing in 10 companies, 20 companies, 100 companies at a time. Right. So right, we don't have time to we, be on all those boards. Yeah, we can't be on all the boards. We can't. And we're not experts in that space. Right. So um, our business is to give you money and for you to give us money back. And the way we're going to do that is um, to have our incentives aligned when you go you know have a huge exit you're going to be a multi-millionaire you're going to be a billionaire and we get a nice return too um so there's a lot of things in place to say you don't get you don't get a nice salary you don't get um a fancy office you don't get any of those um kind of perks of having a successful business until we get our money oh, uh, in the exit huge too. misconception in general I would say. yeah like a yeah. perpetuated so, throughout tv it's like first thing people do when they get a vc investment is buy the huge yeah. office or rent it or buy a new house all that yeah no you're working for what we call ramen wages because if you're making a nice salary then you have no incentive to 
grow the business and get to an exit quickly. So we want you lean and hungry. Yeah, your staff may have to be paid a salary, but we also want the, the key people to be paid in uh, equity as much as, as possible and, and not use the, the, the cash. We, we want to use the cash as little as possible to, for things like marketing. Angels and VCs are are looking for particular types of business models. Yep. I know on the VC side, they're looking for a business model that, you know, realistically in 10 years could be a hundred million or $500 million kind of company. Kind of rule of thumb is you need to get to a hundred million in five years, or at least have a plan for that. And nobody actually makes it, but that needs to be the story that we're going to get to a hundred million. Because uh, that's where you're at 100 million, you're a good uh, acquisition target. So, and with no acquisition, we don't get anything. So, we want to make sure you have, you're going to be an acquisition target within five years. Realistically, 10 years is more likely, but that's that's where the pitch needs to show. How are you going to get to 100 million in five years? And, and is that pretty much the same with angel investors as well? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, that's kind of the, this other misconception of, Angels are just these rich people like like Shark Tank that will give you money so you can build your small business. And that's that's not the case. We are early stage venture capitalists, right? Um, now, your first round of funding is often um, not your traditional angel investors who are looking for a financial return. They're going to be friends and family. We call it the friends and family round, which is, um, as it says, is your friends, your family, whatever money you can you can get together if you have a you know rich uncle uh, john who can give you you know 500k wonderful great if you don't you know kickstarter or whatever kind of grab as much uh you know whatever money you can you can put together may not be very much but at least um you know the more you have the more you can hire outside people to do the things you can't do um and then sometimes there's kind of this intermediate stage before you get to what we'll call financial angels who are looking who are investing to get a return they there may be other motives social impact energy sustainability but um you know this money is coming out of my retirement fund so um (laughs) this is i needed to go back into the retirement fund uh or my wife is not going to be very happy um so i am looking for a financial return along with impact and uh and change um but there are a group of investors that are also called angels that um it, it gets confusing that are people who are not really advertising themselves as angels they're not out looking for deals they are people who are in the industry they are people who um when you tell them what you're doing they're like yeah somebody needs to build that and you know, they may be advisors they may be mentors they may give you introductions they know the business they understand what you're doing they think it's great you haven't built it yet but they can tell you exactly what they think it needs to be um, and they may invest or they may have other friends. So if this guy who's an industry expert says, Dave, that is the greatest thing I ever saw, um, you know, and I'm going to introduce you to DC, he comes to me, I'm like, yeah, I don't know, Dave, I don't know the product, but, you know, this guy said, this guy who knows the industry says this is the greatest thing ever. Then okay, yeah, I, I want to know more about it. So um, the, there is the group of people, I think we'll call them industry insiders. Uh, they can be customers. A lot of times they're customers. Sometimes they're suppliers um, that, that really know what you're doing. They think this is a great idea. Maybe it solves a problem for them. Maybe it'll give them a new product to sell. Um, maybe, you know, maybe they 
they just want to see it built because they want to see energy sustainability um, or whatever you're building. Uh, or it may be that, you know, they've built their own startup before and now they're like, okay, yeah, this is the next generation. This thing is great. You know, we made $10 million in our last one or $100 million in the last one. I can throw in 100K in to, to help you out. Um, so they are industry insiders. And what you're looking for is kind of part of your customer discovery calls, your industry calls, your trade shows, really get yourself inside the industry as opposed to like going on LinkedIn and looking for people who are angel investors. Because those people like me are, you know, you got to tell us why there's a return. I actually fill both roles. It's kind of strange um, that the way I tend to do my investing is I'm part of these angel groups. We go through the full diligence process. We do an analysis. We, we you know, kind of look at, you know, is there a, a minimum 10x return? If there is, then, you know, we'll invest as a group. If it's something that really gets me excited, I'll do an individual investment on top of the, the group investment. Uh, and then we'll, you know, each of my two groups will typically invest in about 10 companies each year. And it's just like all across the industry. A lot of stuff I know nothing about, right? The med tech stuff comes through. I know nothing about it, but we've got doctors in the group. We've got med tech uh, experts in the group. We've got an FDA, um, you know, employee, former employee in, uh, in the group. So if they say it's great, fine. Put my money, that's part of my pool. If they think it's really great, then I'm like, I don't know anything about it, but these think people think it's great, so I'm going to invest. So that's really just financial returns. And it doesn't matter what it is. It might be a consumer product, as long as it's not something I'm like really dead set against, like uh, <laughs> like cryptocurrency, <laughs> uh, then, uh, or, you know, or other things I, I, I don't like, um, then I may invest in it as well. Separately, I do a lot of mentoring in, in the um, clean tech space. I work with entrepreneurs who are kind of very early stage. They're not really ready for investment. I can't bring them to the investment groups. They don't have customer traction yet, but I've been working with them for you know three months, six months. I've seen them progress over the course of the year. I think they're onto something and I've got some inside information. I can see they've got some traction. Still early, I like the team, I like what they're doing, and I love the product. Right. I understand the industry. I see there's a real need. And so I'll invest in them as well. But it'll be a small investment because I I kind of mentally write those off. Right. This is more it's more like a donation than an investment. Right. So I'd love to see them succeed. So uh, I do like a half size or a third size investment um, in that stage to try to help them get to the next stage where they can go to the, the the angel groups or the big angels and be able to show why it's a great investment. So I do a little bit of both, which makes things confusing. But um, there are both of those sorts of uh, investors out there. Well, it gives you exposure to a lot of different businesses and types of businesses, Absolutely. which yep. I'm sure is that's what I love. Yeah. So when you're working with a startup and consulting with them, I assume that in my experience has been even as a development company, people come to me and say, well, here's this thing we want to make. Uh, right. And in all honesty, Part of that is trying to understand why they want to make it. I assume <laughs> right. that uh, uh, in investment, there's a kind of a, a way that you look at the, their business model, but also their their initial pitches, which I've seen initial business pitches are usually far off the mark. So yes. maybe we can talk a little bit about, you know, what are you looking for in a business pitch? What, what makes a good uh, business pitch for investment? So what gets... The angel group's excited. What gets the VCs excited is customer revenue. And then we don't have to figure out all the other stuff, right? If you are actually selling it, not only does that 
prove that you can build the product and people will pay for it, but now we can go talk to those customers. And that will tell us, um, you know, we don't have to just listen to the, the, uh, the, the founder saying there's a huge market for it. We can talk to those people. We can say, why did you buy it? What competition did you look at? How many more of you uh, are there out there that needs exactly this? And we can talk to two or three customers. That gives us a lot of confidence. When you're pitching and, and something- for, for, for software products, that, yeah. that's a relatively small step. You make an MVP yes. and like you yeah. said, we're going to put hard right. products or engineered products. Yeah. That's obviously a lot more difficult, right? Yeah. So in the in the ones where um, so there is an intermediate step where they've built um, uh, we won't call it an MVP, but they built a prototype, they built a pilot system, they've demonstrated the technology scales to some extent, um, and they have started working with some customer to do uh, evaluation. So again, we have some third party that we can start talking to. If they're before that. They're going to have trouble getting investment from angel groups. Some are a little bit more, um, a little bit more, um, uh, less risk averse than other ones are, and will invest a little bit early. But um, you're going to really need to show uh, not that you have great technology, but that there's a big market, that there's not competition that's just going to eat your lunch, that you have the intellectual property to to protect. Um, and that you have a team that uh, that can build this. And if you can show those things um, and show that, you know, once you build it, there's going to be customers, there's a huge, again, there's a huge market for it. And then there's an exit for it because just because you've built a big, nice business doesn't mean somebody's going to want to acquire it. Uh, you can show those things, then it will, it can look like a good investment at a low valuation. The risk is very high. So that will be reflected in, in the valuation. Speaking of intellectual property, that's uh, one of the things I am mostly missing whenever someone is pitching me uh, some ideas or I'm pitching someone else an idea. Right. So we usually just end up uh, going around like, hey, I, I've seen this kind of business working somewhere in some other part of the world and there's not a lot of competition here. But we always get stuck at uh, that exact step that there is no IP involved at all. Right. And Right. That feels like a non-starter every time. Yeah. So there's there's two ways to build a protectable business. One is, uh, I should say there's three. One is that you have patents that say uh, nobody else can build the same thing as you. Um, the second is that you have some expertise that is going to be hard for uh, people to copy. Um, and that may be, you know, there's, there's five of you competing against a giant with 5,000 engineers. But, you know, if you're building a medical device, you may be, you know, the, the one professor in the world who studied this obscure thing. And uh, and that's all that really matters. No one else is going to have that knowledge. Um, and then lastly is marketing. So if you're building a consumer product, the intellectual property you're protecting is your brand name. And you need to be out in front of everybody else. Um, LaCroix is a good example, right? With their their flavored waters, anybody can make a flavored water. There's there's nothing patentable about it. It's it's, it's bubbly water with some flavor oh, in it. That's but crazy. they built such a great brand name that everyone's like, I got to buy LaCroix. I got to buy LaCroix. I'm not going to buy the the store brand. I'm not going to buy the Trader Joe's version. I'm going to buy LaCroix because that's what everybody wants. And so you know they they have revenues in the in the billions of dollars. So. Um, those are kind of the ways to go. Building a brand is really expensive, but that's what you have to do for consumer packaged goods. The easier way is to have a patent if you have some technology. Um, so let me go back again to the VC 
business versus the non-VC business. If you're building a VC business, you're going to have to show, again, how you get to the $100 million and somebody's going to acquire you. If you don't have any intellectual property, um, the big guys can copy you. You know, the, the, the guys in, in, in the garage can copy you. Um, and the fact that no one's copied you yet doesn't mean anything because um, just because it doesn't exist now doesn't mean somebody, you know, once you've shown that there's a $20 million business, they're going to line up. You know, once you start stealing market share from the giants, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, we should build that too. And they're going to go work on it. So you need a way of not just kind of flying under the radar now, but protecting yourself once everyone's like, oh, yeah, wow, well, that was a great idea, right? Um, and so patents are the kind of the usual way of doing that in the, in the technology space. For software, it's it, software is a little tough to get patented, but you may have, you know, you want some sticky stickiness to what you're doing. Um, for a non-venture business, the idea is being profitable. The idea is to generate profits for yourself, not to get to an acquisition. So it doesn't matter um, if you have a, um, you know, what's a good example? Let's say if you open a fried chicken shop down the street. Well, there's probably 10 fast food places near me and they're all competitors. Do I care? No, as long as mine is generating profits, I'm happy. If it's, you know, generating $10 million a year, no one's going to buy me out. Um, but if that $10 million a year is generating $2 million in profits, I'm doing great. So um, it's kind of a different mentality of, do I build a business for profitability? In which case, intellectual property doesn't matter. What matters is having customers and generating profits. Um, whereas if my goal is to be acquired by somebody because I've grown really quick and I have something they can't copy themselves, then yeah, if there's no intellectual property, then it's, it is, you're right, Botan, it's a, it's a non-starter. As a person who's gone through the patent process, you know, uh, there's a saying, patents are only as valuable as the amount of yes. money you have for the lawyers to defend them. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and a lot of people don't get that either. I think that's worth uh, <laughs> a lot more discussion uh, because they're really expensive to, you know, they're not all that expensive to get a patent, but if somebody copies you, it's, you know, $2 million to $10 million to defend it. And, you know, that's fine if you're Intel, uh, fighting against Qualcomm and Apple, but if you're a little startup, you're you're not going right. to have that kind of money. I, I mean, kind of the only reason for getting a patent or submitting for a patent is because you're trying to get VC capital and you want to say yeah. you have IP, right? Yeah. But yeah, because yeah. if your goal is not to build a ten million dollar business, your goal is to build you know a hundred million dollar business that's still growing rapidly, you know, on its way to a billion dollar business. So. You may be, you're, you can't think of yourself as a small business. You have to think of yourself as a biz, big business in its infancy. And so you have to be thinking five to 10 years down the line. If we're a billion dollar business, yeah, absolutely. We need patents to keep out all those new startups that are going to try and eat our lunch. But let's kind of go back a little bit towards pitches. What kind of are the components that you look for in a pitch for funding. So we've kind of talked about there needs to be some kind of IP or at least differentiation. What are some of the other components of, of a good uh, capital pitch that, that? Okay, so good question. That's kind of uh, the thing I end up mentoring all day, every day about because people send me pitches and I'm like, okay, but, 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 but. Um, <laughs> so I divide the pitch up into three sections. This kind of goes back to our goal is to, to craft a story about why this is a great investment. So we start off the first third and it, 
early stage founders, it tends to be two thirds, but it needs to be about one third of product solution market size. What are you building? Why are you building it? Who needs it? The zero to one, right? Why are we building this product? What is it? But that's only the first third. That's probably three slides. I, I see sometimes either 10 slides, 20 slides. The, the product doesn't matter, right? The investment matters. So that's the first third. Second third is, okay, we've built a product. How are we going to get from one to 100? How are we going to build the business? How are we going to keep out the competition? So first third, product solution, uh, product solution market size. Second third is going to be things like uh, the competition, intellectual property, team, um, to, to show that we know how to build a $100 million business um, and, um, and, and revenue projections. How are we going to get to, you know, what's, what's our growth rate to, to get to $100 million? Uh, so those are the things I like to see in the, in the, in the second third. And then the last third is, why is this a great investment? So um, you, you can't imagine how many pitches people send me that don't have terms in it. I'm like, well, that's like going to a supermarket and not having any prices on anything in there. Um, I'm trying to invest in things that give me the best um, uh, risk return. I can judge the risk in a first glance. I need to know what the return is. I can't do that if you don't tell me what the what the price of the stock is. So, um, and some things, you know, I'd be like, oh, that's I don't know. There's a little something here. I don't know what you tell me. It's you know the valuation is four million. I'm like, oh, okay. This is a very early stage. I get it. High risk but very high return. Okay, might invest in that. You tell me the same thing as a twenty million valuation. I'm like, yeah, you're smoking crack, right? You know, that's uh, the the I got I got a thousand things I could invest in that have better risk return than than that. So um, there there needs to be a slide that shows the exit strategy. Um, who's going to buy the company? Why are they going to buy the company? How you know what size is the company going to be in five years? How much is the uh, you know what are the deal terms? here and how much more money are you going to need and what are you going to do with that money to get you to the next milestones uh oh i forgot in the middle is probably a milestone section of what have you accomplished so far so there's some variability some of them can move between the second you know first second and third section but those those are the things i hope i caught them all there's about 11 slides i tell people or 11 topics to cover and you have 10 minutes to do it in so um and it depends on you know who you're pitching to and maybe maybe seven minutes, maybe 15 minutes, but typically it's about 10 minutes, 11 topics. That's a lot of stuff to cover. So you got to go quick. The idea is not to tell me everything about the business. The idea is to get me excited that we can now sit down and have a two hour meeting that gets me really excited that I can spend, you know, the next week with a group of people really diving into it. So don't try to tell me everything. Just try to get me excited that this is going. This is going to be that one deal over the, you know, over the ten years that's going to make uh, investing worthwhile. A ten-page slide. You got a minute a slide. Yeah. You need to kind of talk about what this thing is. Yes. Uh, and what what problem you're solving. Yep. Uh, then you got to talk about kind of who you are and why you think you guys can solve it or make yep. a business out of it and. Then you got to talk about, okay, well, this is what the business could be. And these are the terms of how you're going to get your money back. Yeah. Oh, I forgot go to market strategy, right? That's, that's part of the, the middle and a very critical part yeah. of the middle. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of customers out there, but how are you going to get to them? So that's, that's also uh, a, a critical thing. How do you kind of get a feeling as to whether it's a crowded market? It's not a crowded market. Does it matter? Sometimes a crowded market is fine because they've all been doing the same thing and somebody comes along with a different way. Does that mean much to investors? Well, a crowded market is, 
is not good, right? We'd rather not see a crowded market. And that's usually one of, you know, as we do our our discussion afterwards, sometimes people say up, stand up and say, well, you know, that's nice, but there's, you know, that's a crowded market. And we're like, mm, okay, so it's going to be a difficult in, investment. So um, there may be some other people doing something that isn't quite the same thing. It's nice that, you know, there is some validation. There's a market here, but um, we don't want, you know, 20 startups all working on the same thing and a couple big companies with big teams that, you know, can jump in and, and eat your lunch. So, um, yeah, crowded market's not good. Uh, something new, different, um, that you have some unique expertise and some unique insights on um, and some, some uh, key intellectual property um, is going to make for a, uh, a more exciting investment. Now, so in, in a group like Tech Coast Angels, where there's 150 of us, but we're hearing pitches, I mean, we're an angel group that's uh, kind of specialized in you know, being part of the Los Angeles um, the startup community. We hear everything, right? Everything from organic uh, cider to, uh, you know, to uh, med, you know, med tech cancer drugs to, um, you know, a lot of software. Um, but we, you know, we've heard women's handbags, right? It can be anything. Uh, didn't invest in that. We did invest in the organic cider. Not a good investment, but <laughs> but um, <laughs> it can be anything. Um, and so we kind of count on there being somebody in the room, and hopefully more than a few people out of those 150 that have some expertise in that space. And we don't have anybody in the group that has some expertise in the space who can really dive into it. Um, and lead the deal, then we're probably not going to be not going to get involved, um, unless you know they come from another angel group and there's people there that we trust. And you know, somehow or other, we can't evaluate it without having some industry knowledge. Um, and you know, if we don't, then fine. We'll you know, sounds great, but we can't pass. So I don't. I personally don't invest in uh, med tech stuff or or uh, life sciences because it's a specialized world, and I don't know how to evaluate it. I don't know how to you know. I don't know what other people are working on. Uh, the great thing about Chemical Angels is we specialize in things related to chemistry and materials. Most of the group is like PhDs in chemistry. They work in places like 3M and BASF, and um, you know. So when somebody comes in with something that's chemicals related, it's like yeah. We either know a lot about it, or there's somebody in the room who kind of has looked at it. We know who else is doing what. We kind of know what was invented. We can actually look, dive into the intellectual property. So, um, you know, I really like the the specialization group. And the best is when we can combine the two, right? We'll get somebody pitching to uh, one angel group that will be like a Techos Angels. And we're like, well, that sounds great, but we don't have anybody who's an expert in batteries, for example. But uh, we want you to pitch to this battery group because there's an angel group that does nothing but batteries. And if they're excited about it, you know, we can look at the market size. We can look at the financial stuff. We can look at the team. We have these people uh, who are you know, specialists in technology and in the industry. Um, and so there'll be some cross fertilization there that I think is is incredibly valuable. Whereas the VCs kind of do it differently. They have money, right? We're all we're investing our own money. We're we're. Um, we're volunteer groups. We're just kind of really a, a technically there's probably not a, a nonprofit organization around it to, to run the operations. But fundamentally, we're just a bunch of people who get together to jointly invest in things. And so we don't have money um, other than our own. 
Um, whereas the VCs, they are, you know, that's a business, right? So they collect 2% fees. They get money from big organizations like, uh, like um, uh, universities and insurance companies and pension funds and things like that. You know, and they'll bring in $100 million and they get, they take 2% of that a year to run their operations. They have $2 million a year for a medium-sized fund. And then they keep 20% of the, uh, of the upside profits as well. But they've got $2 million. Some of that will use their own operations. They take salaries, they're full-time people, but then they can also hire consultants. So somebody comes to them, pitches a battery and they're not battery expert. Well, um, they can hire a battery expert as a consultant to come in and, and look at it. And some of the angel investors will actually work for VCs to, as consultants as well. What kind of terms are investors uh, like angels or you know, small VCs looking for? What what would you consider reasonable terms? So there's kind of two separate pieces. One is what the structure of the um, uh, of the investment is, and the other is the the evaluation. So structure, your choices are usually either preferred shares, and that's what investors like, but it, it's expensive, it's time consuming, there's a lot of lawyers involved. So um, unless you're getting a big investment in, you know, like two to $5 million or more, you probably don't go with preferred shares. Um, in that case, your two options are gonna be the safe agreement or a convertible note. Um, some investors hate safes because the old safes were horrible. The new safes are great, but a lot of people haven't gotten the memo yet. So some investors will just say, we don't invest in safes. Um, I've also seen a lot of safes that don't have deal terms in them. They're just, will you give us money and, you know, we'll get a discount off of whatever we end up negotiating five years from now. So I don't like those either, but a post money safe, that's kind of the technical term post money safe with a valuation cap, I think is the best investment. A lot of people disagree with me and they say, well, as we prefer to have convertible notes, that gives us more flexibility and we can add in, you know, special terms in there like liquidity preferences and stuff like that. So um, kind of the angel community is a little bit split. I like safes, a lot of people prefer convertible notes. I think either one is usually acceptable. Preferred shares are better if you're at the stage when you can do it. In terms of valuations, um, that depends on who you are talking to and what stage. So friends and family, typically 2 million to 4 million sort of valuation, your first round of investors four to, to six. When you get to the angel groups, it's like six to 12. When you get to series A, it tends to be around 20, but there's a wide variation and it keeps changing every year. Last year was just an insane bubble. And so we were seeing, you know, pre-seed rounds at $20 million and like, <laughs> we're not going to make any money from that, but you know they were getting investments, so so great. Um, it's kind of come back down a bit, but not all the way where it was. So valuation really depends on the details. It depends on the market size. Depends on the team. Depends on the traction. Uh, it's hard for the entrepreneurs to know what their valuation should be because it's not a spreadsheet calculation, you know, net present value sort of thing. It's really kind of. Uh, an auction of how you compare to all the other investments that we can invest in. So uh, the only real way to figure out what your valuation should be is to talk to investors and say, you know, what terms would this be attractive to you? Um, and that's, there's kind of this two state steps of there, especially when you get into the, not the original friends and family and kind of industry people, but after that, usually there's a lead investor. 
The lead investor's job is to negotiate with you what the terms are going to be. Once the lead investor has set the terms, you have a signed term sheet, then uh, they'll take you know, somewhere between a quarter and half of the deal. Then you bring in the other investors who are just like, okay, um, that, that's the terms. Uh, we'll either invest in that or, or not. And then the lead investor will usually end up being uh, on the board or at least a board observer and kind of represent all the other investors. So yeah, the, the terms, it's, it's really tricky. And, and one thing I think is interesting, it depends on what part of the country you're in. Uh, not just what country you're in, but what if you're in the Bay Area, valuations are higher than Los Angeles, and that's higher than, say, Indianapolis. Uh, just because there's more money, it's, it's an auction, right? So there's more money, there's more people investing, so uh, valuations tend to be higher in, the, in, in San Francisco than they are in, in, in L.A. So if I were to take an investment, am I going to lose the house if I lose the company? Just to put it in the simplest terms possible. Um, no, you, you, um, you shouldn't be mortgaging your house um, unless you're doing a loan. If you go to a bank, they will ask for the house as, uh, as security. You go to the VCs, we kind of work differently. Um, that our, We're investing in that business and that's it. Um, but on the flip side, we don't want you taking a big salary because then you know, then you're kind of sucking money out of the business that we want invested back in growing the business. So, um, no, you don't lose your house, um, but you will lose your, your, you know, the business goes kaput, you, you're back to zero and you have to go off and find a job or start another startup and get more, more funding. I have a feeling that a lot of people go for the second option to start the next startup. Or ne yeah, next Kickstarter yeah, or yeah, yeah. We, we hear a lot of people saying, well, the first one failed, but I learned so much from it. And now, now I know everything we need to succeed. So um, the, the other people the have paid for like my research and now you get out. the benefit of, uh, yes, that's a pretty typical uh, story and, and it works. Um, it, it, one of the nice things about Silicon Valley is, um, you know, failure is considered a learning experience as opposed to a, uh, you know, something gone wrong. So, um, and most founders uh, have have failed. I've built five startups. Only two of them have been successful. So I don't say I've failed sixty percent of the time. I say I've got two. I've, I I built five companies and had two successful exits. And everyone's like, "Oh, well, you have two successful exits. That's huge." You know. So that's that's kind of the way Silicon Valley thinks. So there's nothing wrong with um, with failure. Um, it won't stop you from uh, from starting your next one. All right, Botan, uh, do you uh, have a kind of a final question for DC on this? I mean, I might have the perfect final question, DC. <laughs> uh, what does the future of investing look like? Wow. You know, no one has ever asked me that. And that's like the perfect question because, you know, VC has been there forever, but it, it's kind of exploded recently. But a lot of people who don't probably shouldn't be doing venture investment or doing venture investments as a lot of people are going to lose some money. So um, we'll probably see some, some pushback. Um, I don't see the venture world going away. It's a, it's a business model that works for a particular sort of business. That's going to grow rapidly. Um, what we need more of has always been frustrating is a funding mechanism for the companies that are looking at profitability. Uh, and that's that's really the majority of startups that I see. They call themselves startups, but they're really more like small businesses that need a way of getting a million dollars to build a product, get themselves 
out there um, and then generate healthy returns, but that doesn't fit with a venture model. So I would like kind of come back to the Shark Tank model of, right, is there a way of like paying back investors uh, early, you know, kind of so as, as a mixture of it being like a loan with some amount of money coming out of the, the revenues um, and then, but also keeping the equity as an upside stake uh, with some way of doing a buyout you know, because we don't want to just sit with equity for, you know, 20 years. So some way of uh, having that converted to uh, to money afterwards. Um, and then there's venture debt, which um, was kind of taking off. Um, and that's great if you have, uh, if you've got $10 million in revenue and you need another $10 million, um, you know, the big bank will give you a loan. The Silicon Valley Bank was kind of big people in that. And, I think they were a little bit too aggressive and that's one of the reasons they, they ran into problem. Um, so I'm kind of hopeful that there are more hybrid, as more people get into this, and it's not just a few um, venture firms with big pots of money that have to invest $10 million or $100 million at a time, uh, that there are some more hybrid models that uh, kind of make funding more feasible for uh, for a wider uh a wider group of of um, of startups but unfortunately it's not there yet that's what everybody wants and that's what everyone's hoping from investors that's what everyone thinks it is from watching shark tank but um that it's still pretty rare you know in the intro you know one of the things that caught my eye a little bit because i do a lot of writing myself is that you are a published author and novelist maybe you can tell us a little bit about uh that Oh, absolutely. Thanks for giving me a chance to mention it. And I happen to, by the way, I happen to have a copy of my novel right here, To Kill the Unicorn, um, is a mystery novel about Silicon Valley, uh, a bit um, roughly based on uh, Theranos. If you're familiar, I guess um, Elizabeth Holmes just went to jail yesterday for her fraud. But imagine if a startup wasn't just a fraud. Fraud's easy, right? We're just going to hide things. Imagine uh, if they had this really great product, but it had some bugs in it. But that product was worth a trillion dollars. Now, would you go off and tell investors, uh, you know, just hold off for five years till we figure out some solutions? Maybe there is solutions, maybe there isn't solutions. You know, come back in five years and, you know, we'll see whether this is worth a trillion dollars or not. Or would you just kind of hide that in the back room? And, you know, maybe it kills a few people, but, you know, okay, but... It's a trillion dollars, right? So uh, this is about a startup that's doing some very um, suspicious things. Um, and uh, they, they've promised that they're going to revolutionize transportation. Uh, they've got this great technology. Um, but now the chief scientist is missing. And his friend, who is a hacker who works at a company that's kind of similar to Google, needs to use his hacking skills to figure out what's uh, where his friend is, which means figuring out what's going on inside uh, this company. So it's a bit of a farce about Silicon Valley, but it's also it, it, a little bit of science fiction, um, but fundamentally it's a noir mystery. So I tell people there's a lot of books about, you know, building startups and, and Silicon Valley. Um, this is this is the most fun you will actually have reading about Silicon Valley. So I try to make it a, a, a fun, crazy story about startup life. Uh, and it really appeals. I mean, the, the money in in um, the business plan for this book was not very good, right? If you want to make money at a mystery, you write for the mystery book clubs, which like their cozy mysteries tend to be, you know, the the, the ladies in their mystery book clubs. A lot of money in that. 
this book was written for people who uh, are in the startup community. This is for founders. This is for um, programmers. This is for developers. This is for people who live and work in the Bay Area or just kind of connected to the, the startup ecosystem with something that uh, I think is really tries to show it from from the inside. And uh, hopefully uh, we'll, we'll find humorous. Um, there's a lot of engineering humor in there too, like you know, a lot of uh, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy references and things like that. So um, thanks for giving cool. me a chance to mention it and uh, hope everybody uh, is now excited about it. You can find it on Amazon, like everything else, uh, To Kill a Unicorn. Oh, cool. Now it sounds like a fun read and uh, it sounds like something that be enjoyable and uh, obviously uh it's a passion of yours for writing yes. uh are you already started on your next book oh so the next book's already finished <laughs> oh okay next the, so the sequel of this book uh, is already finished i'm waiting for it to go through editing and uh be uh, hopefully come out uh, later this year i'm now working on my third uh my third book which is uh completely different it has nothing to do with silicon valley and these characters it's uh it's about uh japan and sake brewing it's a it's a, uh, more of a traditional mystery going back to that business plan of how do i actually write a book that will will make money um this is <laughs> agatha christie style mystery of a um a group of people going on a tour of sake breweries in uh in japan and one of the people in the tour dies uh after eating uh blowfish fugu um and uh, obviously one of the people in that tour was the murderer and you get to find out all these suspicious things that all the people in the tour are, are doing we're working on that one now well, well, DC, it has been really great talking to you. Thank you so much for helping us see the money uh, and some great tips on creating a fundable business model and funding presentation. Uh, for our listeners, please join us in the first week of next month for another Screenbox Technology and Business Rundown podcast. And until then, keep focused on finding the money. Thanks, Dave. Thank you very much for taking this journey with us. Join us for our next exciting exploration of technology and business in the first week of every month. Please help us by subscribing, liking, and following us on whichever platform you're listening to or watching us on. We hope you enjoyed this podcast, and please let us know any subjects or topics you would like us to discuss in our next podcast by leaving a message for us in the comment sections or sending us a Twitter DM. Till next month, please stay happy and healthy. <laughs>